God bless you, my beloved. This is Minister S.N. Crockett, Jr. with Jesus Christ, our Lord Christian Fellowship. We're coming to you this evening. This is the 20th of December, 2019. We're coming to you with our weekly program, The Truth of the Gospel. The Truth of the Gospel. We're going to continue our lesson that we started about a week ago. The name of the lesson is... Jesus came into the world. Jesus was born so that. Jesus was born so that. In other words, why did Christ come into the world? Why did Christ? Why did Christ come into the world? And one of our key scriptures is 1 Timothy 1.15, which says, Christ came into the world to save sinners. Paul said, of whom I am chief. Paul was a chief sinner. He, really, he had persecuted the Christian church because he didn't believe in Christ at first. Uh, he was a Pharisee, a, a religious uh, leader in uh, Judaism. And he didn't believe in this, this rabbi, this uh, Jewish rabbi, who said that he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. So Paul was a chief persecutor of the church and he was on his way to further persecute the church when the Lord interrupted his plans on the Damascus road. The Lord interrupted his plans in Acts chapter 9. Knocked Paul, at that time his name was Saul, knocked Saul off of his beast. The Lord called him and Saul whom we know as Paul, he became one of, if not the greatest defender, probably the greatest, we have to say the greatest defender of the Christian faith, wrote about half the New Testament. New Testament has 27 books. Paul wrote about 13, 14 of those books, being inspired, of course, by the Holy Spirit. You see, the difference between the Word of God and other writings, whether secular or sacred, the Word of God is inspired by, by God. That's why it's called the Word of God. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so the Word of God is not the Word of men, even though some people think that it is. The Word of God is God's words spoken through men. All of them except Luke were Jewish. Luke was the only Gentile author of the Bible. He wrote two books, the Gospel according to Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. So all of the other, all of the, all of the other 64 books of the Bible were written by Jewish men, inspired by God. And any true, any true Christian who's walking the right path will believe that God, that this is the word of God inspired by God. Holy men, the Bible says, spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So Paul became, Saul became the church's greatest apologist. And when I say apologist, I mean defender of the faith. And so what I want to look at tonight, I want to continue to look at Jesus was born so that. Christ was born so that. And so I want to talk to you tonight from three categories. Jesus was born so that we could be justified, sanctified, and glorified. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners so we could be so we could be justified, 
sanctified, and glorified. Let me say that again. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners so that we could be justified, sanctified, and glorified. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we bless you and we thank you just for the privilege of mentioning your name, the name of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to whom be glory, power, majesty, and dominion, both now and forever. We bless you and we praise you. We glorify you. We thank you, Lord, for blessing us. We thank you for calling us out of darkness into your marvelous light. We glorify you and we praise you through Jesus Christ, your dear Son. Blessed be your name forever and ever. We pray against every stronghold. We pray against every demonic interference with the gospel of your dear son jesus christ we pray that the gospel will have full course lord god we pray that your word would not be bound but that your word would go forth with power and anointing as only you can give it lord i pray for preaching and teaching all over the world that fruit and gifts of the holy spirit would be manifested according to your good acceptable and perfect will through jesus christ your dear son we pray and again we're grateful amen and amen let's talk tonight about Christ came into the world to save sinners so that we could be justified, sanctified, and glorified. Let's talk about being justified. Justif to be justified before God means just that. To be declared just. God can declare us just if he chooses to do so. And he chooses to do so when we trust in his dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Did you hear that? God, because he's God, he doesn't need anybody's permission. He doesn't have to ask a board of governors and board of trustees. And he doesn't have to ask the angels, can I do such and such? Because he's God. He's sovereign. Nobody tells him what to do. He's God. Uppercase G-O-D. Because he's God, he has decided that he can declare us as just, defied, justified for those of us who have trusted in his dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. If we believe in Christ with our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we are justified in God's sight. That's, that's justification. That's the, that's, the, that's, the, that's the crux of the doctrine of justification. Notice, it's purely an act of God upon the human heart. Man has no boasting that he can claim, you know, I, I did such and such. No, there's no boasting. There's no boasting, none. The Bible says Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. He believed God before circumcision. So he couldn't... He couldn't say, well, because of my circumcision, I was just before God. No, he believed in God before circumcision. Paul makes that point in Romans, etc. To be justified in God's sight means to be declared just because of the position we hold through and only through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Blessed be his name forever. I'm going to read a passage to you from Romans chapter 5. And, the, and, and this scripture is going to really be the crux of what I'm saying. I may look at one or two more scriptures in Romans. Romans is the book you really want to read. 
with besides Galatians, but especially Romans. You really want to read Romans if you want to understand the doctrine of justification by faith. You see, something had to happen for us to be just in God's sight. And that something is Jesus Christ had to come into the world to save us from our sins. Something had to happen for us to be just in God's sight. Christ came into the world, Paul said, to save sinners, of whom I am chief, Paul said. So Romans chapter 5 says, therefore having, therefore means a transition from what we call chapter 4, because originally the Bible was not in chapter and verse. So chapter 5 is, is a transition from whatever Paul said in chapter 4, which is a transition from chapter 3, etc., so Paul says, therefore, having been justified by faith, do you hear that? Do you hear that? There's no running around trying to work to be justified in God's sight. We're justified by faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God has already made provision for us to be justified in his sight. Therefore, being having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you, do you notice? Justified by faith, peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified by faith, peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified by faith, peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. No, no, no Jesus, no peace. No peace, no justification. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith. Did you hear that? We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Did you hear that? Let me read it to you again, then I'll move on. Remember, Christ came into the world to save us, to justify us, to sanctify us and to eventually glorify us. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have peace with God? If you really do, it's because of Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's not because you were so good. It's not because your denomination is so doctrinally correct. It's not because your grandfather was a bishop. No, if you have peace with God, it's because... You've been justified by faith through and only through, and I must emphasize that, only through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ came into the world to justify us, meaning God is the judge. And unless we as guilty sinners can be justified before God's presence, we're in trouble. <laughs> you know, I mean, deep trouble, like eternal trouble. But because Jesus Christ paid the price at the cross, at what I call Calvary's cruel cross. Hallelujah. Because Jesus paid it all and all to him we owe, sin had left a crimson stain. He has washed it white as snow. Glory to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith. 
we have access through God, through Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, there was a veil in the Jewish temple. That veil was torn from top to bottom. That veil signified the tearing of the flesh of Christ on the cross. And because of the tearing of his flesh, we now have access to the Holy of Holies, which is heaven, the real Holy of Holies, not the shadow, the type in the shadow. The real Holy of Holies is heaven itself. We have access to God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, the heaven is the real most holy place. The, the most holy place and the holy place on earth, that was the tabernacle Moses built, and God told him to build it according to certain specifications. But that tabernacle was only a type and a shadow of the true tabernacle of God, which is heaven itself. So now we have access to God through Jesus Christ because of what he did at Calvary's cruel cross. Let me read it one more time, then I'll move on. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. If you've been born again, if, you, if, you've, tr if you've truly trusted in Christ for your salvation, you have received the Holy Spirit. And because you have received the Holy Spirit, if you truly trusted in Christ, the love of God has been poured out in your heart. That's why a true Christian is a person who loves. A true Christian is a person who loves. A true Christian because that love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Through the Holy Spirit who has been given unto us. That's justification. Let me say it one more time, then I'm going to move on. Justification means to be declared just in God's sight. God, who calls those things that are not as though they were. God says you're just. I like to use the example of, again, the plane crash. When the plane crashes, besides looking for survivors, they look for what's called the black box. Because the black box, box contains the data, the flight data, what, what were the pilots doing and thinking and what was going on with the airplane mechanically, etc. before the crash. But the box they recover is not black, it's orange. But we call it the black box, but it's orange. But we call it the black box, but it's orange. But we call it the black box, but it's orange. Well, I use that analogy to say we're not righteous in ourselves. We're, we're deeply flawed, deeply stained, utterly depraved sinners. <coughs> Excuse me. But because of what Christ did at the cross, because he took our sins upon himself, Because he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Because the price that had to be paid for our peace, ah, that peace that I mentioned in Romans 5, 
because that price that had to be paid for our peace was put upon him, and because by his stripes we are healed from the ravages of sin, we're justified in God's sight. Now I want to move from justification, I want to move to sanctification. I want to move from justification to sanctification. Justification means we're just in God's sight. Justification means God declares us just. Remember, he's God. He can declare anything he wants to. It's his universe. He doesn't need anybody's permission. He doesn't have to consult the deacon board. He doesn't have to consult the, uh, the uh, academy of bishops. He doesn't have to consult the apostles. He's God. He's sovereign. He's, that means he's God and we're not. He rules and he super rules. He's God, as they say, all by himself. Hallelujah. So because he's God and because we've trusted in Jesus Christ, he has declared us just. So we are declared just. It doesn't mean that our behavior always indicates it, but we are declared just by the justifier which is the Lord, who is the Lord. We're declared just because Jesus has fulfilled the law and the prophets, the righteousness of the law and the prophets, Jesus perfectly fulfilled. And even though he perfectly fulfilled the law and the prophets, remember, remember he said, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets, I came to fulfill them. Even though Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law and the prophets, he was eventually turned over to the Romans as though he were a criminal. He laid down his life. He voluntarily laid down his life for our sins. He was wounded, as I said, for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace, the price that had to be paid for our peace, which was his chastisement, was put upon him, and by his stripes we are healed from the ravages of sin. We're justified. If you if you're if you're if you've truly been born again, if you're a real Christian, you're justified in God's sight. Now we want to move from justification, we want to move to sanctification. So I'm going to move from Romans 5 to John 17. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said. Father, the, the hour has come. Glorify your son. That your son may also glorify you. This is Jesus praying this prayer before his crucifixion. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Jesus is giving an account of his ministry on earth. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God. Did you hear that? Jesus said, Lord, you're the only true God. Jesus said, Jehovah is the only true God. That means any other gods are, are, are false, are idols. Jesus said it now. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. He's giving an account of his ministry. I'm finished, Lord. I finished it. The only thing left for me to do is Calvary. And of course, his bodily resurrection. 
I have finished the work which you have given me to do, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. He's saying, Lord, I'm coming back to you after the cross and the resurrection. I'm coming back to you to be seated in glory as I was before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. And the world, they were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Lord, I, Father, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world. That's a scary thought. Jesus said, I pray for those whom you have given me. Jesus said, I do not pray for the world. That's a scary thought. The world has no true intercessor. No true intercessor. Jesus said, I pray for them. I pray for those whom you have given me, for they are yours and all mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. The only time in the Bible the term Holy Father is mentioned is in John 7, 11, 17, 11. And he's not talking about the Pope. He's talking about God, the Father. Holy Father, that's the only time that term is used in, in all the Bible. Holy Father. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me. That they may be one as we are while I was with them in the world. I have kept in your name those whom you gave me I have kept. And none of them is lost. He's now he's giving an account of his ministry saying, I kept them, Lord. None of them is lost except Judas Iscariot. None of them is lost, except Judas Iscariot, the son of perdition. Perdition means to be lost, to be destroyed. He said that the scripture might be fulfilled. So the fact that Judas was lost was not Jesus' fault, because Jesus is the good, the great, the chief shepherd. Jesus has never lost one of his sheep. But Judas was lost that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now I come to you in these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. So you're a Christian and you're wondering why the world hates you. The world hates you because Jesus Christ lives within you. And the world is in darkness and you're walking in light. And I was supposed to look up and research and I forgot to do it. I'll try to do it by Sunday morning. I was supposed to research why do roaches scatter when you turn on the lights. There, there's got to be some kind of reason. And I meant to look it up and I forgot. I'm sorry. I'll look it up. I'll try to remember to do it tomorrow and have that explanation ready by Sunday morning. But if you, if you, ever, if you ever had roaches in your home, when, a lot of them especially, if you turn the lights on, they scatter. There, there's got to be some kind of reason. It's called entomology, the study of insects. I'll look it up. And see, why do roaches scatter when you turn the lights on? For some reason, they hate that light. That light does something to drive them crazy. And I don't know the reason, but I'm going to look it up. 
the Lord uh, says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. He says, don't take them out of the world. Keep them from the evil one. See, the Lord is unto him who's able to keep you from falling, to keep you from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Then he, Jesus says this in John 17, 17. And this is the second point I wanted to get to besides um, justification. Justification means we're just in God's sight. We, we're declared just. We're declared righteous. It's a declaration that God has made. Then he says, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus came into the world. He was born into Mary's welcome womb so that we could be justified, so that we could be sanctified. To be sanctified means, in essence, to be divinely set apart for God's sovereign, holy purpose. To be sanctified means to be divinely set apart for God's sovereign, holy purpose. In the Old Testament, God would sanctify animals. He would command that animals be sanctified unto him and people would be sanctified. Normally it would be the firstborn. Normally it would be like the firstborn son. To be sanctified. Father, sanctify them. Now notice what, what our Lord Jesus said. He said, sanctify them by your truth. You see, everybody wants to walk in their truth. But if you're not walking in the truth of the gospel, you're not sanctified. If you're not walking in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, excuse me for each true and ice. If you're not walking in the truth of the gospel, you're not sanctified. Father, sanctify them through your truth. Not through Eastern philosophy, not through Western philosophy. Sanctify them, Father, through your truth. Not somebody else's truth, not, give, not, not tell them to walk, you walk in your own truth. Father, sanctify them by your truth. Then Jesus further clarifies, your word is truth. There's nothing else that can sanctify us except God's word. All other sanctification is pretense. It may look like sanctification. You know, uh, there, there are Christians who, who, appear, who dress a certain way and carry themselves, you know, they dress a certain way, etc., in order to give the appearance of sanctification, true sanctification only comes through God's word. Jesus said, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now, sanctification in essence has two parts to it. There's initial sanctification and there's progressive sanctification. There's initial sanctification and there's progressive sanctification. 
Initial sanctification occurs when we're born again. Progressive sanctification is just that. It's a process. And we are told to partake in it. The Bible says, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. So we are called to partake in it by, by turning away from evil. I'm going to take you to the Corinthian letter that Paul wrote. I'm going to move from John 17 to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want to listen. I want you to listen to what Paul said to the Corinthian Christians. And then I'm going to tell you some things about the Corinthian Christians. And it's going to sound like, well, what was Paul talking about? How, how are they sanctified? When such and such and such and such are happening. That's why I said there's initial sanctification, but then there's progressive sanctification. And many Christians, I don't know what percentage, but it is a large percentage, many Christians fail to partake in the progressive sanctification. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. This is the first Corinthian letter greeting. And Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, how did they become initially sanctified in Christ Jesus? They heard the word. They believed the word. If you go back to Acts, you'll see how the Corinthian church was started. They heard the preaching of Paul. They heard the preaching of the cross and the resurrection. And some of them, Sosthenes and some others, they believed. And that was the beginning of the Corinthian church. That's the initial sanctification. If you were to continue to read the Corinthian letter, you would say, oh, what, what are you talking about? What sanctification? They had a lot of problems in this church. Probably many more problems, possibly many more problems than you have in your church. Possibly. They had a lot of problems in this church. I mean, people were choosing preachers. I want to. I'm only coming to church when Reverend So and So is preaching. I'm only coming when Bishop So and So comes to town. I'm only going to come when Apostle So and So and his, you know, armor bearers show up. They were choosing preachers. There was a lot of sexual immorality. There was still idol worship. There was uh, a man was sleeping with his father's wife. There was a lot of carnality in the church, but yet Paul in his greeting says to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. So there's positional sanctification. Every Christian is, is positionally sanctified, set apart for God's sovereign divine purpose. Every Christian is positionally sanctified. But not every Christian partakes in progressive sanctification. That's the daily walk. But grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. At the doxology that's in um, Second Peter, at the end of Second Peter. That's progressive sanctification. And many Christians don't partake in that. And so you'll see many Christians still in the baby stage. When we've been commanded by the word to enjoy the sincere milk of the word as newborn babes, but you can't feed a you can't feed a 
10-year-old child what you fed a 10-week-old child. It, it's not going to work. It's, it's not, it, that 10-year-old child needs different nutrition than a 10-week-old child. I've got a three-year-old grandson. He's now eating solid food. He couldn't eat that food when he was first born. He would choke on it. So we're commanded, every Christian. Somebody said to me uh, some time ago, I don't know why this person said this, but I didn't want to argue. I, I, I'd gone to see this person for another reason. I didn't want to fuss because I was in this person's home. And I don't try, I don't, I try to go into people's homes fussing. I try not to. But this person said to me, there are some churches that God has ordained to just be Milk church churches. I, I I don't I don't see any scriptural justification for that. This person said to me, "There are some churches that God has ordained to, to just be milk churches, where the people just." And I, I I didn't fuss, but I that didn't sit with my spirit. I said, "There's no scriptural justification for that." The Bible says, "Grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ." Many of the problems that plagued the New Testament churches, the early New Testament churches plagued those churches because the people weren't growing the way they should. There are even some human diseases. I don't know the name of them. I know, I know dwarfism would be one of them. There are some human diseases where people don't grow physically or mentally, etc. Well, there are spiritual, uh, spiritual diseases when you don't grow spiritually. I've been saved since 1979. Now, what is that? 40 years? That's 40 years. May the 20th, 1979. So that means May the 20th, 2019. I'd been saved 40 years. If I'm still in the same spiritual position in 2019 that I was in 1979, 80, 81, and 82, something is wrong. And then the thought cannot be with God. The Bible says, grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, that same second epistle to Peter, I'll read it to you. That same second epistle to Peter, I'm going to read the beginning of that epistle. Listen to what Peter says. That, that same epistle where he said, grow in grace, and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That was at the end of the epistle. It's the very last verse, just about. Chapter 3 of Second Peter. I'm going to read to you from Second Peter chapter 1. The same, same epistle, same apostle. And listen to what he says. Where in First Peter he says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. In Second Peter, he's going to say, we got to move beyond the milk. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, 
that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. God has made us partakers of the divine. We are not divine. We are not gods. But he has made us, he has allowed us to be partakers of the divine nature by the fact that we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Christ Jesus, the hope of glory, dwells within us. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. A mature Christian doesn't walk in the corruption. That's the, that's the point the, the editor of Christianity Today magazine said about President Trump. Said he, he needs to be removed from office because he's walking in the corruption of the lust of his own flesh. And I'm, I'm not going to dwell on this point, but I'm sure not understanding why these so-called, these other Christians, I'm not, I'm not going to say so-called, why these other Christians, including Billy Graham's son, I just, I'm just not understanding why they continue to support this man. It, 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 it's, it's because he's, not, he's walking according to the lust of his own flesh. I've never seen such extreme narcissism, but I'm, I'm not going to dwell on that. But listen to what Peter says here concerning being sanctified, set apart for God's holy purpose. He says, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence. So you, we, to walk with the Lord requires diligence. Walking with the Lord is not automatic. The growth that is required of the Christian is not automatic. It's not. It has to be purposeful. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Virtue. Virtue is righteous living. Virtue is to live in an, in, in an era of um, integrity. And to virtue, knowledge. The Christian must obtain knowledge through studying God's word. And it, 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 it doesn't make sense that people in cults know their scriptures, their Bible, better than the Christian does. There's something wrong there. I mean, if you let a Jehovah's Witness come to your house and run circles around you, and what they call their New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures. And you're standing there, uh, da, uh, humana, 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 humana. Peter is saying, grow. Peter is saying, in essence, he's saying, grow up. Add to your knowledge self-control. You see, that, that's part of the sanctification process, self-control. If you don't have any more self-control now, than you had uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago, there's a problem there. Now, 20, 25, 30 years ago, maybe you were a, a young Christian and you still had no sexual self-control. You, you still you know, was, were sexual, sexually active outside of marriage. But you shouldn't be that way today. You've been saved 25, 30 years. You, you still should not be promiscuous. Self-control is not just in sexual matters. It's also with the tongue and in other, you know, with your temperament. Uh, I tell people all the time, there were some things about President Obama that I really didn't care for, but he had the temperament for the job. I have to give him that. He had the temperament. For eight years, he had the temperament. 
But this man who's in the in the White House today, I didn't vote for him. The main reason was he didn't have he he didn't and he doesn't have the temperament. He doesn't have the temperament for the job. You can't be president of the United States acting like he's acting. He doesn't have the temperament for the he doesn't have the self control with his mouth, etc. You know, things that people tell him in confidence, like like what, what the congresswoman from Michigan told him, you don't go telling that to everybody else. That's a that's a that's a personal that would be like you speaking to your pastor and then your pastor gets in the pulpit on Sunday. You spoke to your pastor that you um have um, um cervical cancer or something. And your pastor gets into the pulpit on Sunday and blabs to everybody that you have cervical cancer. And you didn't give the pastor permission to say that. That that's 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 President Trump is way out of order. He's 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 beyond the pale, as they say. He's way out of order. He he doesn't have the temperament. He he doesn't have the temperament to run a department store. Much less, he doesn't have the temperament to run a a food truck. <laughs> oh gosh, that's that's cruel, isn't it? He doesn't have the temperament to run a food truck. Much less be president of the United States of America. The Bible says self-control. To self-control, perseverance. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta have a hang in, hang in there-ness, if that's a word. As a Christian, you gotta persevere through trials and tribulations. All this is the sanctification process. Remember, there's initial sanctification, but then there's progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification is when Jesus Christ is being formed within us initial sanctification every christian is positionally sanctified but not every christian is experientially sanctified every christian is positionally i read to you what paul said to the corinthians he said you're sanctified in christ jesus but yet if you go on and read the corinthian letter man there were some problems in that church there was some soap opera that, that church was a soap opera you talk about days of our lives and Search for tomorrow as the world turns, as the church turns. That church was a soap opera. They were positionally sanctified. But the progressive sanctification was not taking place. Paul said, I couldn't, I can't even speak to y'all as spiritual. Y'all carnal. Y'all carnal, y'all babies. I, I want to feed, Paul said, I want to feed you with some meat, some lobster and some steak. Y'all still drinking Similac, baby, you know, baby formula. Right? Infamil. Y'all still drinking infamil. <laughs> so Peter says, perseverance add to it godliness. What's the opposite of godliness? Ungodliness. <laughs> to godliness, brotherly kindness. The Christian is supposed to be kind. Not kind in the, you know, wobble deed, weak sense, but kind. Acts of kindness I never forgotten. I, I remember acts of kindness toward me even as a child. Acts of kindness I never forgotten. Therefore, acts of uh, unkindness I never forgotten either. And to brotherly love, kindness. For if these things are yours, Peter says, if these things are yours. Remember in the first letter, Peter said, enjoy the sincere milk of the word. But in the second letter, Peter is saying, it's time to grow up. Peter said, if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? 
you were ne you will neither be barren nor unfruitful. You'll be like that tree, it says in the first psalm, planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its appropriate season. Your leaf shall not wither, and whatever you do shall prosper. For if these things are yours and abound, you will, you, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted. The King James said blind. For he who, la who lacks these things is blind or short-sighted and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. See, we're all positionally sanctified as Christians. But if we're not careful, we can forget that we were cleansed from our old sins and we can start acting um, worldly again, fleshly. The Lord Jesus came into the world to justify us, to sanctify us. That's why I just read 2 Peter chapter 1. That's part of the sanctification process. He's going to say at the end of that letter, grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be glory, power, majesty, and dominion, both now and forever. A doxology. Amen. So the Lord came into the world. Jesus was born so that we could be justified, meaning we could have a just standing in God's sight because of Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 1 sanctified, I read from John 17, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The truth of the gospel is the only thing that's going to sanctify us. And now I want to close the lesson by discussing the third tier of why Jesus came into the world. He came into the world to glorify us. To glorify us. To glorify us. I'll start with John 14. John 14 is a very familiar, familiar passage of scripture. <clears throat> Excuse me, but let's take a look at it just for a second here. John 14. It's the let not your heart be troubled chapter. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. He's going. Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. He said this pre-Calvary. When he went to the cross, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, voluntarily suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified. He was raised, bodily raised from the dead. He ascended back to heaven 40 days later. He seats now, he's seated even now at the right hand of the Father. He's our great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. He says, I'm coming back. Now, we don't know when. Nobody knows when. Nobody knows when he's coming back. Nobody knows when Jesus is coming back. Nobody. There are people who, are, who, who have been date setters. The Seventh-day Adventists at one time said 1843. And the Jehovah's Witnesses tried to set a date, 1978 or something like that. Foolish. <laughs> Jesus said, nobody knows. No, nobody. He said, not even the angels in heaven. 
So to try to set a date on the return of Christ is foolishness. It's a waste of time. He said nobody knows. And if he said nobody knows, stop all these calculations. Trying to calculate. No. Nobody knows. Let's just leave it at that. Nobody knows. But we do know he's coming back. If I go away, I will return and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Let's leave it at that. Ladies and gentlemen, please stop trying to figure out when the Lord is coming back. You can't. You, you're not going to figure it out. You, 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 you do better figuring out how old, how old the universe is. You, you do better figuring out some of those calculations that you see uh, over at MIT and Georgia Tech, some of those advanced calculus calculations. Nobody knows when Jesus is coming back, but we, we who are true Christians, we believe he's coming back. Because he said he would, and the Bible says he cannot lie. He came the first time, he's coming the second time. I go to prepare a place for you, because in the Jewish wedding, in the Jewish wedding, a man and a woman would be married, but they would live apart for about a year or so. And then the man would come at the time appointed by the father, and the man would come, the groom, and claim his bride. But the bride never knew when the groom was going to come. Oh, the groom didn't even know. The father would say, son, go get your bride. Likewise, Jesus is the bridegroom. We are the bride. He's coming to get us, but he didn't tell us when. And because he didn't tell us when, that means we don't know. We're not supposed to know. So all this date setting, the Seventh Day Adventist set date in 1843-44 and the Jehovah's Witnesses in 1978 and all these other people trying to set dates and living on the mountaintop and selling all their goods and you know, collecting uh, canned goods. Come on. He says he's going away to prepare a place for us. Let me read to you Philippians. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians. is toward the end of chapter 3. Paul said, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said our citizen. He said it 2,000 years ago. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, remember he said when he was raised from the dead, remember he said, I have all power in my hands in heaven and earth. He didn't say black power, and he certainly didn't say white power. He said all power. I have all power in my hands in heaven and earth. Paul said, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, he will transform our lowly bodies so that they would be like his glorious body. Our lowly bodies are going to be transformed to be like his heavenly body. John said, in essence, John said the same thing. John said, we don't know what we shall be but we do know that when he appears we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is let me close in first corinthians i'll close remember christ came into the world so that we could be justified 
sanctified and glorified. I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me start at verse 35. 1 Corinthians 15. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? See, there was, Paul had to deal with this. Remember I told you the Corinthians had many problems in that church? Here's another one of the problems that I didn't, I didn't even mention. They had a false teaching in the church, probably by the Sadducees, the spirit of the Sadducees, because the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. Neither did they believe in uh, the spirit world. Neither did they believe in angels. The Pharisees did believe in those things. The Sadducees didn't. So Paul had to address that problem in the Corinthian church. If you read 1 Corinthians 15, he's addressing that problem. Remember, I told you the Corinthian church had problems. They had to have church conference every week. Because <laughs> they had so many problems. But they were a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, sanctified. Paul said, sanctified by our Lord Jesus Christ. So positionally, they were sanctified. But experientially, their actions, many of them were not sanctified. They weren't acting sanctified. So I'm going to start at verse 35. Paul said, but someone will say, and this is the spirit of the Sadducees. He's, I'm sure he's speaking against, at least part of it is. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what body do they come? You fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Jesus said that same thing in John. Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He was talking about himself. If he had to die so that the church could be born. That which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh. He's explaining the, the, the principle behind the resurrection. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one flesh of man, another flesh of beast, another flesh of birds, another of fish. There are, there are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one, like the stars and the planets, etc., and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon. The moon doesn't have its own glory. It doesn't have its own light. The light we see from the moon is reflected from the sun. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For star, for star differs from star in glory. An early lesson in astronomy, even before the greatest uh, astronomers you know, knew these things, Paul is giving a lesson Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's giving a lesson in astronomy. But the point he's making is he's explaining the, res the principle of the resurrection. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. If I die tonight, they're going to put a perishable body into the ground. I don't want to be cremated. They're going to put a perishable body into the ground. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an, an imperishable body. When Jesus comes back, if I die tonight, he's going to raise me from the dead. But it won't be this body that you see here with his white hair. And my, my left knee, is, is it hurts. And I sometimes have to wear a knee brace. And my left hip, I may have to have hip replacement surgery soon. And I have to wear these glasses to read. And my teeth are not as white as they used to be. 
And sometimes my back hurts so bad, I can't straighten up. That's a perishable body. It's corruptible. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is planted in the ground, a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. You will be raised in glory when Jesus comes back. If you die before Jesus comes back, because some of you won't die, you'll be here when Jesus comes back. You'll be alive. Paul discusses that in 1 Thessalonians 4. We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. But right here he's saying, if you die before Jesus comes back, you'll be raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. Anything of the flesh is weakness. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the last man, I'm sorry, the first man, Adam, he became a living soul. He's quoting Genesis 2-7. God breathed into Adam's nostrils. He became a living being, a living soul. The last Adam, that's Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. He's, the point he's making is that you're, you have to live in a natural realm before you can live in the spiritual realm. It's kind of like being born again. You had to be born before you could be born again. Your Being born was your natural birth. My parents came together and made love sometime in 1956, and I was born in March of 1957. That was being born, but Jesus said to Nicodemus, now if you want to live with me eternally, you must be born again. I was born again on May 20th, 1979. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. Then the spiritual, the first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. The second man is Jesus Christ. He's the last Adam. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, right now we're bearing the image of the earthy, Paul says we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Right now I'm bearing the image of the earthy. I'm bearing the image of Adam. One day I will bear the image of Jesus Christ when he comes for me. I, John says we will be like him for we will see him as he is. So now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's why people who are not saved, they are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, do not be deceived. He gives a list of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. He said, don't be deceived. Don't let these, these false prophets out here, whether in, in politics or in the church, don't let these false prophets out here tell you that everybody is good with God. Everybody is not good with God. Only those who have been born again. So Paul says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. See, we are heirs with God. We're heirs with um, um, Christ. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And so we are part of the will. But people who are not born again, they ain't in the will. You're not in the will until you're born again. Then you're in the will. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the, the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Paul says it's a mystery. In the, in the Bible, a mystery is not always something that's deep. It's just something that hadn't been revealed before. It's where we get the Greek word apocalypse. 
The word apocalypse means unveiling. It will be like if I have this pen and I've got it stuck in my shirt and I pull it out and show it to you. That's apocalypse. <laughs> the unveiling. That's why the revelation of Jesus Christ, the book of Revelation,